Complex and live out of Police Island, South Carolina. This is the Jake Robinson Sports Experience. What is up? It's your boy, Jake the Snake, back with another edition of the baddest. I mean, quite, you know, I'm being humble here. It is the baddest, most ferocious baseball podcast show on the planet. It's your boy, Half Man, Half Podcast Machine. I'm jacked up. I'm ready to go. I mean, look, I've been watching baseball like literally like a madman. I mean, two, three games a day and you know what I like? I, I, I missed the little crawls that run across the bottom of the screen. Does anybody do that besides me? Right? I mean, I'm looking at dudes like Aaron Judge. My God. Already? Already you're showing everybody your dog? That's how it's going to be? Get out of here with that. I mean, put that thing away, man. Aaron Judge is going off. Forrest Whitley. I mean, I love watching the little crawl. Fernando Tatis Jr. What's up with my boy out there in Arizona? And I am just so happy. Baseball is back. I got the greatest fan base in the world. It's your boy, Jake the Snake, on the Jake Robinson Sports Experience. Half man, half podcast machine. I got your hookup. Holler if you hear me. That's right. And what is up? What's going on? Are you guys, I mean, like, I am literally, I'm loving life. I'm not even going to lie to you. I am literally loving life. And I'm going to cover it all this week. I mean, I got, well, look, we all know Bryce Harper got signed with the Philadelphia Phillies. I mean, what is up with that? That is some record-breaking numbers right there, baby. So we're going to, you know, of course we're going to dig into that, talk about some Bryce Harper. We're going to talk a little bit of, oh, you know, world champion Red Sox. I would be remiss. I mean, quite honestly, I've done the champs a disservice. And I think that, you know, we're going to sit down today and we're going to dig into that team right there. We're also going to dig into a little bit of Cincinnati Reds. We're going to go out. It's a good year, Arizona. Good year, Arizona. Good year, Arizona. Check out the Cincinnati Reds, a young team on the rise. I can't wait to take a look at that. And then we're going to finish it out with, that's right, the evil empire. We're going to dig into the New York Yankees. And like I said, Aaron Judge is just out of this world right now. That dude, he's ready to go. He is ready to go. He is ready to reign supreme. I love that dude right there. I mean, he just... Unbelievable, prodigious power. Oh, you know, right field, right center, left field, left center, center field. It doesn't matter. That dude can hit it out of any part, and that includes Yosemite. So we're going to take a look at all those things. Bryce Harper, a little bit of Boston Red Sox, the world champions. Then we're going to look at some uh, Cincinnati Reds and then finish it out with some New York Yankees. But first things first, I would be remiss, right? I mean, can you believe it? Bryce Harper, at long last. Harper, he's found a home. 
Amen. Well, thank fucking God for that. That's it forever. And last Thursday, that uh, that feisty little 26-year-old right there, former face of the Washington Nationals, he signed a 13-year, $330 million contract with the Philadelphia Phillies. That makes him the biggest free agent signing in Filthy since, I don't know, Terrell Owens with the Eagles back in 2004. And the truth is, I've covered the Phillies roster at nauseum for look, three of the past four weeks. So if you want to know how Jake the Snake feels about the, the Phillies roster, you know, just go back over the last four uh, shows in the archive. They're right there. I talk a lot about the Phillies and what I expect from them. And look, it was a pretty much fait play that Bryce Harper was going to land there. I mean, pretty much from like the all-star break on, I felt like that was going to be the place. And that's why I felt like, you know, Washington should have tried to roll him when they were five games out at the All-Star break. And his signing there, it does make it interesting to uh, see if Filthy's going to turn around and trade, uh, you know, either Aaron Arthur or uh, Nick Williams. Maybe uh, try to secure a bullpen arm. At some point here in this season, I mean they got a they got a couple young pieces. And speaking of arms, and, and I've said it from day one of the offseason that I'm not really a fan of the back end of that Philadelphia Phillies rotation. And I don't mean no offense by that, but I gotta give you the truth. The Nick Pavettas, the Vince Velasquez's of the world, I mean nah. and to be fair, I'm not a huge fan of the bully either. Quite honestly, Sir Anthony Dominguez, Hector Neris, Tommy Hunter. Um, I like a couple of their young pitchers. This Victor Aranio kid, Adri Ramos, Jojo Ramirez, Pat Neshat. I like them enough, but I mean, in my opinion, both the rotation and the bully, I mean, it's a work in progress. And I also believe that Philly, you know, they got a few bullets left in their burner. They want to let loose. Yeah, with that party and with that bullshit. I mean, they got some bullets. You know, whether they're trade chips and guys like Scott Kingry, Williams, Alther, or even Phil's like number one pitching prospect, Adonis Medina, last year's first round pick, Alex Baum. I mean, they got serious options here. And I mean, last but not least, they got the great, you know, the great equalizer, right? Cash. I mean, they got that cash money, dollar, dollar bill, yeah. And I believe what the term, uh, the term was uh, stupid cash, right? Yeah, they, they got cash and plenty of it. And I know a couple of Angel fans were breathing this huge collective sigh of relief and the false confidence that Filthy would not be able to, uh, you know, have the resources left to pursue Mike Trout in 2020. But I'm going to be honest with you, that is, quite frankly, well, that's fake news. 
as the Phillies, they're certainly going to be in on their hometown travel in 2020. They are, without question. Which leads me to like the financial impact of Harper on this team. I told you, I've covered the roster aspect, the players aspect of it, the three of the past four shows. And certainly a 13-year 13, a 13 marriage between player and team. I mean, that's rare in sports. And in many ways, this will be a litmus test towards you know future deals. And I think that Machado and Bryce Harper are connected right now, and they probably will be throughout the length of these uh, careers here, or the, the length of these contracts. But look, the beauty of the Phillies offseason, they have spent nearly $500 million, and they still maintain financial flexibility. They do. The Phillies are about $40 million below the, uh, the luxury tax threshold. And their payroll, it still isn't the biggest payroll they've had in club history. Now think about that. Not even with the additions of, you know, $330 million for Bryce, $50 million for Kutch, $45 million for Aaron Nola. I'll get $23 million for David Robertson. And, you know, $5.9 for JT Real Muta. And it still wasn't their biggest payroll in club history. And as far as I can tell, and maybe my trivia guy, uh, Leo Jane down there in uh, Melbourne, Australia, he can tell me if I'm wrong with this because, you know, I've done some major research. And the Phillies are the first team in baseball history that has signed three all-star players from the year before. I can't find another team that's ever done that. In the history of baseball. Now, Harper's annual average uh, value, it's uh, $25.38 million. And surely that's a lot of bread, of course. But it's only 14th all time for a baseball player on a per year basis. So all told, Philly sits at about $166 million. And I mentioned that's not even their highest payroll ever. In 2012, they were at 172. And in 2014, they were at 178 million. They're not even close to that. Now, this luxury tax, it's at 206 this year. And I'm looking here, it's going to creep up to 208 million in 20, 210 million in 2021. And as I look through this roster and I look through payroll here, one thing that catches my eye is you'll, you'll, you'll have to factor in that uh, Pat Neshek, Tommy Hunter, Juan Nicasio. 
Well, that's $26 million right there. That's coming off the books after this year. So the Phillies are twice as nice as Reunini and Ice, baby. And it is on like prawn wearing Sean John and holds on. And look, this is what the Phillies bought. Philly, uh, Bryce, he's a brand. He's going to generate crazy money in Philadelphia. He's going to make that $300 million back for them easy. But you're getting a brand in Bryce Harper. You're getting the player too, but you're really, you're getting a brand. When I look at the big four in the NLEs, I would say the Phillies, they have the best everyday lineup in the NLEs. But that pitching, I mean, it's shady. Out of all those four teams, I, their pitching is shady, brother. When I look at the good and not so good in all these deals, I am judicious. I, I, I have no bias here. Last year, Bryce had a slash of 249, 393, 496, 34 dogs, 100 ribs, ML best, 130 walks. So that'll explain that 349 OBP. And even though, uh, you know, this overshifting, it's wreaking havoc on his average, he's still getting on base. And he is consistently rated as an average or better defender throughout his career. But that was prior to last year. I mean, his defense was atrocious last year. And it was a major reason why that war fell to 1.3. Well, that and the 249 average. Now, in 2015... Bryce's age 22 year. He won the NLVP. I mean, mind bottling production, right? 118 runs, 42 dogs, 460 OBP, 649 slugging percentage, 1.109 OPS, and a 198 OPS plus. And those were all best in the National League. I mean, he was a strip, straight pimp that year. Well, I've looked at the 4417 games since that MVP season. And Bryce has a, uh, you know, a slash of 267, 391, 505. And he's got a 133 OPS plus. As that shift has driven that average down. And look, the, the, the truth is... He may never replicate those 2015 numbers ever again. I mean, almost no one has multiple seasons with that kind of prodigious production. I guess outside of Bonds. I would say the Phils, they're banking on uh, building around JT, uh, JT, Real Muto, Hoskins, 
and Bryce. You know, offensively, I, I see that as the blueprint there. And through the years of this contract, and with the LTT going up, I, I, I see the fills right there financially in the upper echelon for the next eight years. And you will never hear me uh, complain about you know, teams trying to catch lightning in a bottle, spending a little bit of money, and going for it. But, I mean, let's take a step back, Jack. 13 years with no options. I mean, it's tough to even visualize and compromise and realize and analyze and project for, you know, 13 years, no options. And even with the Universal DH, I mean, that's just a long time. He's going to be going into 40 in that final year. And I know this contract, it's front-loaded. It's going down as the years go, go up. And who knows, maybe $24 million a year, and, you know, and, and it's year 40. I don't know, maybe that's a deal at that time. I don't know. All I know is I've never heard a 13-year commitment to anything. And when it comes to Philadelphia, one thing I know about that town, expectations are everything. Especially in that town. And Harper, he's going to be expected to produce. I mean, he is. It's a tough town. And I'm not even talking about, you know, like the freaks who get all drunk out there at Veterans Stadium and start throwing snowballs at, at Santa Claus. We all know that story. I'm just talking about they could be, you know, a little feisty. And Harper's going to be expected to produce. No excuses. And I'll be honest with you. I kind of, look, I don't know how some Philly fans are going to feel about this, but I kind of have reservations about, you know, a, a Gabe Kapler, Bryce Harper marriage going 13 years. I, I don't see it. I think with this influx of talent to Philly in time, they may need uh, to make a move towards a, a manager of personalities, a Phil Jackson type of baseball, you know, like a, a Bochy or a Showalter type. And it's, it's not anything personal against Kapler because, honestly, I like Kapler. And I, I think he has the ability to adapt, but... From what I saw last year, I, I, how do I put this? I, I saw a sprinter. I saw a guy who's peppy, he's urgent, he's eager. And, you know, it's not football. You, you need a marathon guy. And again, this isn't personal about Kapler. I like Kapler. 
That's not based on any stat. That's purely my opinion. And my opinion on that has zero credibility. It's just some of the things that I saw last year. So I don't really see this hindering them. And I think damn right they're going to make a full out of salt to get Mike Trout to come home. I mean, they are. They'd be foolish if they didn't. I think that they envision an outfield of Odrubo Herrera, Mike Trout, and Bryce Harper. The DH is going to be universal soon. And I, I think it's fair. I think it's a valid uh, point when people are looking at his 36, 37, 38, 39, you know, year. His age year. And, you know, that's a lot of money. I think the Phillies are banking on winning early. You know, two World Series in the next seven years. I think that's their goal. And I think in order for them to accomplish that goal, look, I say it every fucking week. Pitching, pitching, pitching. Philly, you need pitching. That lineup is stacked for sure. I mean, you needed a left-hand bat, and he fits right in there. I mean, him, Real Muto, Reese Hoskins. Whoo! And that don't get your, you know, something going on, you know, inside your cockles. Now, like it or not, this is the deal. The Phillies are going forward, Bryce Harper, and it feels like the Phillies, they almost backed themselves into this corner with, like, this obsessive compulsive fans. You know, who would have seen this offseason as a loss had they not gotten Harper, even though they spent, like, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars all around the ball field. I mean, the Phillies really did do a great job. And Bryce Harper was just the cherry on the top. Now they got to get some pitching. Gio Gonzalez. I mean, Gio has got to be cheap at this point. What kind of value does he have? What kind of leverage does he have to, like, accomplish this value? Go talk to Gio Gonzalez. You don't want the Pavettas and the Velasquez in the back of your bullpen, or back into your rotation, trying to win you games in July and August. Price, he comes with a little bit of baggage. I mean, he, you know, never been out of the NLDS. Batted 246 in the playoffs. Oh, no, I'm sorry. He batted 246 his last three years, but in the playoffs, he's been even worse. 211, 315 OBP, 19 playoff games. That was in 2014, 16, and 17. So I do. I feel like it's a cherry on top. I don't feel like it's going to financially break the Philadelphia Phillies at all. I mean, it's not. Philadelphia Phillies are a big market team. It's not going to kill them. They're miles away from the uh, the LTT. So it's good to see Bryce Harper finally got a home. But, you know, look, there's still great players out here. And I'm not done on that. I'm going to give it a break this week, but I'm not done on it, you know? Adam Jones, you know, I'd I'd like to see the Padres go after Adam Jones, bring him back home. 
I just don't know. There's all these great players. Well, they're not great now, but they're still solid baseball players who can help you win baseball games. Martin Maldonado. You mean nobody can use a catcher that can actually catch the ball and throw people out trying to run? Nobody can use that catcher right there. You know this freezing out bullshit. It's fucking March, man. All right, I'm not going to go down that road. I think it's a good move by Philadelphia. I think it's going to, you know, on the last couple years, it's going to be an anchor for them. So they better, you know, short term, they better get their World Series in the next seven years. They get two World Series in the next seven years. That deal's worth it. You'll listen to the Jake Robinson Sports Experience on the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. I'm coming out of Paulie's Island, South Carolina. That's right. I got the smooth, mellow vibe going. And I finally want to sink my fangs, so to say. And now, you know, I really feel, I, I almost feel, I feel like I've done the world champions in the service. I barely mentioned them, but I mean, the NL East has been all out assault on grabbing players. And I felt like I had to give you the skinny. So we're going to sit down and we're going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to really dig in. We're going to dissect the Boston Red Sox world champions. And I got to tell you, like, in all honesty, last year, that Game 3 World Series, favorite baseball game I've ever seen in my life. I mean, look, you got two baseball games for the price of one in the World Series. 18-inning affair. And I was happier than a pig and shit, baby. I mean, I just sat my big ass right in there. So I finally want to sink my fags into the world champion, Boston Red Sox. And I feel like with all the major moves and non-moves going on this offseason, I've neglected to give this team their due. They are the world goddamn champions. 43-year-old second-year manager, Alex Cora. He will attempt to become the first Red Sox manager to win back-to-back World Series titles in more than 100 years. Puerto Rican native. First minority skipper in franchise history. And certainly among, you know, the youngest to ever run a Sox dugout. And, you know, I saw a manager who adapted early and he didn't require much time to figure things out. And I, I even read an article, I think it was about two weeks ago, where he admitted that, you know, he just completely self-imploded and bombed when he, you know, uh, interviewed for the D- Detroit Tigers a couple years for their head manager job. And he knew he failed, and he went back like the, you know, analytical person that he is, and he went back, you know, step by step through that interview, and he knew if he was ever given a chance again that he would never 
have the same type of interview. Now, he might not get hired, but he would never fall to those standards. I mean, he was very disappointed in himself. And to his credit, I mean, he went in and he blew away the Red Sox front office. And we see why, right? I mean, he completely outmanaged everybody in the playoffs. Everybody. After losing that opening game last year, they won the next nine straight ball games, 17 of 18. They never looked back. And I said it then, they reminded me of like the 1984 Detroit Tigers that came out to that 35 and 5, you know, just crushing everything in its way in the first 40 games. And that's how Boston looked last year out the gate. Now, they finished the season 108 and 54. The best record in franchise history. Eight games ahead of the rival New York Yankees, who were stuck in second place. And honestly, folks, honestly, I think they could have won more than 108 games. Yeah, I think they put those last three weeks on cruise control. I'm going to be honest with you. They were sandbagging Chris Sale. And I truly feel that if that team was selfish, they could have challenged the MLB benchmark of 116 wins set by the 1906 Cubs and the 2001 Mariners. I do. I think they could have. They never lost more than three games in a row last year. And their worst stretch was six losses in eight games. That came in August. And Cora began his uh, conservative act with a roster. And by then, the Sox, you know, they were already 50 games over. A double-digit lead in their division. Cora. He's the fifth Red Sox manager to win the whole kit and caboodle in his first season. But he, he is the first rookie manager to accomplish that feat for the Red Sox. And last year's 667 winning percentage, well, that's the highest in club history for a regular season. And the Red Sox, they're going to look to expand on last year's... Uh, General philosophy of wash, rinse, repeat. And the dirty one is in the Charles River. And the emphasis right there, that's going to be on repeat. The last time a team repeated as a world champion. Well, look, the world, it was three years away from MySpace and social media. You or your parents... They were probably looking for the best deal on a dollar modem the last time a, a, a team repeated. Bill Clinton was president. The 21st century, it was still months away. I hope you weren't affected by uh, 2K. Why 2K? <laughs> so it's safe to say it's been a minute since... You know, the Yanks repeated in 99 and then re-repeated in 2000. 
And the first, uh, you know, be the first repeat since that Bombers team. It has this team chopping at the bit. And they're going to return almost everyone from last year's squad. And I mentioned the Sox. They went on cruise control down the stretch. They masterfully massaged every possible inning they could out of that left arm of Chris Sims. That lineup, it's still loaded. The rotation, it's stacked. And other than Joe Kelly leaving to play for the Dodgers and closer Craig Kimball, who is still, you know, he's still out there on the free agent market. He's, you know, surely unlikely to return to the Red Sox. And other than losing those two, the team is relatively the same. The same team that ran over everyone during the uh, 2018 season. Same fucking team. Same team that made the Yankees, Strohs, and Dodgers uh, start to press their drawers. Same fucking team. Now. The last teams, well, the last 18 teams who have tried to repeat have gone 0 for 18. Only two of those teams, 0-1 Yankees and 0-9 Phils, only those teams made it back to the World Series. And five of them, including the 0-8 Red Sox, they lost in the LCS. Two of those teams, including the uh, 0-5 Sox, they lost in the Division Series. And nine of the 18 teams, including the Red Sox, nine of 18, they didn't even make the playoffs the next year after winning the World Series. So not only has it been tough to repeat, I mean, you know, tough to the point where it hasn't happened. It's not even a given you're going to make the playoffs. So, you know, the Red Sox returning this team. It's a great team. We all know it. We know it. And they do have, you know, they have a question at catching. Dave Jombrowski, he's pretty much made it apparent in his uh, desire not to carry three catchers on this year's roster. And they currently have Blake Swahert, Christian Vasquez, and Sandy Leone on that roster. And it's log jamming that position. And it, in some ways, it's log jamming the roster as a whole. Now, Vasquez, he started 10 of 14 postseason games last season. He appears to have the inside track for the starting job. The metrics and the eye test. They say he is the best defender of the trio. And it's close between Vasquez and Swihart as far as uh, the bat is concerned. And that ain't saying much, folks. I mean, neither one of those dudes will ever be mistaken for Josh Gibson. Now, it is worth noting that Swihart's agent, well, he did ask uh, the Red Sox for a trade last season, so perhaps Boston would be willing to entertain some offers there. 
And on a side note, in a bizarre segue, uh, I want to send my heartfelt condolences out to Swihart. Uh, you know, his adopted brother, 23-year-old Ramel Jordan, died last Wednesday. That's sad. College football fans, they may, they may remember that name as uh, Jordan rushed for 551 yards and 103 carries as a running back for uh, New Mexico. No cause of death as the family has pleaded for a privacy degree. And Jordan's death, it's the second close to home loss for Red Sox baseball in the last couple weeks. That, uh, you know, they, well, they lost Boston Globe columnist uh, Nick Cardava. He died February 21st after suffering uh, uh, embolism at JetBlue Park in uh, Florida. So that's sad. That's definitely sad. Heartfelt condolences going out from me and the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. And for the better part of this decade, Sox fans, I guess they've kind of envisioned the platoon duel of uh, Vasquez, Swihart, and the road to get there may not be uh, how anyone called it, but it could be the year that it comes to fruition. Vasquez, he will never win a Silver Slugger Award. But he did show in the postseason. He can put together a few good ABs, and he is a knack, you know, for, you know, getting a big hit. He can slap a single the other way. There you go, all you traditionalists. That's your player there. Is it the sexiest approach to hitting? Uh, surely not. But it's better than that bullshit San Leone is bringing. I mean, without question. And look, let's be honest. You know, the Red Sox can mash. And I just say they need a defensive, you know, their best defensive unit at, behind the dish. If the Red Sox are looking for a middle-of-the-road offense from their catcher position, then, you know, I, I would assume this is the way to go, Vasquez and Swihart. I mean, but like I said, with that boss-ass lineup, maybe Boston just goes for defense. And if that's the case, well, they should keep Vasquez and Leon and say bye-bye to Swihart. If all the roads less traveled, I, I like this roster construction best uh, with the caveat that uh, Vasquez and Leon would be the two catchers, catchers that break camp with you. And Red Sox, for all their resources and baseball superiority over most clubs, they are partially at fault for the lack of defensive development in Swihart's game. And honestly... Blake doesn't have enough tenure at backstop for anyone to fully dismiss his work on a full-time basis. I mean, that's the fact. 
picking up when I'm laying down there. No one can deny he is the worst defensively of the three. And to me, defense matters at this position more than any other. It's why I'm not enamored with the all-stick, no-glove Gary Sanchez type. I know, he frames a good pitch. And he's got a bazooka for arm. He does. He's got a gun. But he has trouble with the curveball to slide in the dirt. And with, you know, pitchers like Severino and Mossy, I don't know. You tell me. I'm all fucking ears. Plus, I mean, theoretically, I believe Swihart has the most trade value. Not that he's going to bring back a major haul, to be fair. And for a long stretch, Boston uh, used Leon and Swihart as Vasquez was on the DL. Leon probably played more than the front office would have liked. But in all honesty, it just looks like the team lacked, you know, that full trust in, in Swihart. Honestly, it's hard to argue against uh, 2018 status quo. Swihart Velasquez. That was status quo. But let's be honest. That, you know, if you're a Boston Red Sox fan, you know there's a lot of downside to a Velasquez Swihart platoon. And you saw it manifest at times last year. You don't need me to fucking tell you. Now, the other question facing the world champs is in that bullpen, in the bullet, where it looks as though uh, the chances of Craig Campbell returning, they're slim and none. And really, the writing was probably on the wall when manager Alex Cora went to Chris Sale to close out the World Series in the clincher versus the Dodgers. Struck out Machado to finish it. Somebody... Uh, tell Machado to pick his ankles up before uh, leaving the batter's box, please. And as dominant as Kimbrell has been throughout his career, there were some exposing gashes in his armor as he sputtered to the finish line. I mean, that guy squeezed out every potential base that he could afford in the playoffs. He couldn't give up any more 90 feet. He couldn't. I mean, this guy, first, third, two outs, third, bot bases loaded, two outs, man on third, one out. I mean, you know, if I'm a Red Sox fan, you're looking at a guy who is like running on fumes. In the ALDS versus the Yankees, he had an ERA of 11.57. 1.7 whip. And he was just a missed pitch by Gary Sanchez from extending the Yankees' season by at least one game. <clears throat> Excuse me. In the ALCS versus Houston, he gave up two earned runs in four innings. 
4.50 ERA. Bowling shoe, ugly, width of 2.00. And in the World Series, two earned runs, four and a third innings pitched. He gave up a dong, 4.15 ERA. So when Kimbrell went out on the uh, free agent market and he started floating this six-year, $100 million number around, you know, Boston, they, they smartly passed on that shit. No, thank you. So the only addition... To the bully has been uh, 25-year-old Colton Brazier. I'm sorry, Colton Brewer. I knew that didn't sound right. He's a talented arm. And he was hitting away in the formidable uh, Padres bullpen. And now, look, he's intriguing but he is limited in experience and sample size as he only appeared in 11 games last year. Now, I bring up Colton Brewer, Red Sox Nation, because he could actually become last year's version of Ryan Brazier. Another person who came aboard with sample size issues last year. But for 42 and a third combined innings pitch between uh, regular and postseason play, you saw the raw stuff of a legitimate weapon there in uh, Brazier. Impeccable command. He averaged a walk rate under two for every nine innings pitched. Eight strikeouts per nine. And I see Brewer as the same type of, well, pitcher, but also the same kind of gamble. And I'm not sure if he has to command a brazier, but all in all, Brewer is a wild card that could go either way for you guys this year in the bullpen. And the Red Sox, they got a recent history of bringing Padre arms to Beantown and making that shit work. See Drew Pomerantz, Craig Kimball. And I guess to my estimation, Matt Barnes... He's probably going to play the biggest role in this uh, so-called bargain bullpen. In 2017, he struck out uh, just under 11 batters per nine. He finished the season with a 3.88 ERA. And last year, he took a huge step towards the elite. 14 Ks per nine, 3.65 ERA. And I would suspect... He would have the inside track on closing games uh, now with Kimbrell gone, presumably. And Joe Badass Kelly moving on to La La Land. By baseball pro- uh, perspective, the serve run average formula, Barnes was the ninth most valuable reliever in baseball last year. And even by fielding independent pitching, or FIP, he was in the top 26. The right-hander uh, by my eye test. And again, my opinion, 
it carries no credibility. But by my eyes, by the mathematical analytics that he's improved in every year. I mean, he's definitely worth giving a look at. And quite honestly, I have little reason to think that he will be less effective in this larger role. And he certainly comes cheaper than Kimbrell as the reigning world champs still have the largest MLB payroll and they are not looking to expand it anymore. And some, uh, you know, skeptics, naysayers, they may point to some issues he had with uh, high leverage outs early in his career, but he was top shelf liquor last year. In the postseason, he allowed uh, just one run in eight and two-thirds innings. He held batters to a .464 OPS. So it looks like the kid, you know, he's ready for more high-leverage situations. He's proven. He's seasoned. He's ready to roll. The biggest issue in this, uh, you know, American League modern bully era in my estimation, you need three big-time arms. You need three trustworthy wings to compete in the late innings in the American League. Teams like the Yankees and the Astros, they're loaded. They are fucking loaded with an arsenal of these overpowering appendages. And Boston, you got Brazier and Barnes. And I would mean, you know, maybe that third shooter is Stephen Wright. It looks like Eduardo Rodriguez is healthy again, and he's ready to assume his spot in the, in the rotation. And the Sox front office, they would like to keep that knuckleballer Stephen Wright right there in the bullet this year. They don't even want to use him as a swingman if they don't if they can help it. The team is clearly high on right. And they, they've always been. He's battled knee problems. And it's a major reason the organization is determined to keep him out of the rotation. As a reliever last year, Wright had a 1.52 ERA. And over the course of his career, his bullpen, uh, bully ERA, it's 2.99. I mean, for me personally, I, I, I always have like this uneasiness with like knuckleball relievers. And I don't even want to know why, because I've seen Tim Wakefield just dominate my Orioles for years. But honestly, I think that it's, you know, that's just my personal taste. That's not based on any hard analytics anywhere. And healthy, right? Should you know he he should be afforded to the opportunity to serve as that third guy, I think. And now you'll notice I didn't mention the uh, Tyler Thornburgs, Heath Hembrys, Brandon Workmans. I have very little faith in those guys filling that late inning third guy, that big three void. I see them as necessary middle arm workers. I was high on Thornburg at one time, but, I, you know, it just doesn't have command that you want from that late-inning guy. 
like, look, every baseball team, every successful team, they need some middle guys, and I, I see them fitting right there. They're going to play important roles in 2019 with sure, as the marathon major league season requires important innings from every pitcher on an MLB roster. And I think Alex Cora gets that. But, you know, look, hey, don't cry for the fucking Red Sox. They're the defending champs. Them and the Astros, they sit at 6-1 odds to repeat. And that lineup is still stacked. The Sox, they return a lineup that was number one in the American League in runs, hits, doubles, average, OBP, slugging percentage, OBS, and total bases. The one-two punch of Mookie Betts and J.D. Martinez. You throw a little, you know, Andrew Benatendi in there, Alexander Bogarts. Jackie Bradley Jr. is improving offensively and is just flat-out sick in center field. That is a sick fucking lineup. And it's so funny. I mean, J.D. Martinez finished last year with a 330, 402, 629, slash, 43 dogs, 130 rims. And not only is he not ALMVP, he's not even the best player on his team. Now, now go figure that out. Because that belongs to that Pimp Betts. And look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you how this team can hurt you. You already know. But before I break out from this Red Sox banner, let's take a look at Mookie's numbers from last year. You know, just for shits and giggles. Let's see. Mookie. Mookie bats. 346, 430, 438, 640 slash. 1.078 OPS, 32 dogs, 80 rips, 129 runs scored, 47 doubles, 186 OBS plus, and get this, 91 strikeouts and 614 plate appearances. Now I rest my fucking case. He's the best player in the team right there. I mean, unbelievable. And I want to say congratulations to Jay Bosox, Jesse Lastaglia, two of my closest friends with, you know, just Red Sox crazy. You guys earned it. I really didn't think you were going to do it last year, in the beginning of the year. And you proved me wrong. Chris Sale made it to the finish line. And he made it with gas in the tank. He made Machado look silly to end that World Series. So the fight is on. The Red Sox look pretty fucking stout. We're going to dip into the Empire in a little bit. And it only seems fitting, right? When you cover the yin, 
You gotta go up for the yay! You're listening to the Jake Robinson Sports Experience on the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. I'm coming out of Bally's Island, South Carolina. And I'm really enjoying the young baseball season. I am, and I'm trying to take you through these teams here. I've already given you the NL East. Now, over the next two weeks, I'm going to cover... uh, I'm going to cover the AL East and the NL Central. So I gave you the Red Sox. And the JRSE spring training caravan, it rolls on. And I want to make a stop out in Goodyear, Arizona. Take a look under the hood at these Cincinnati Reds. And the toughest opponent from uh, the early outset of spring training for the Reds was this bipolar vortex weather that they're experiencing uh, in Arizona. And had them scrambling to indoor facilities due to, you know, typical Arizona fuckery weather. You know, hail, freezing rain, snow. You know, typical Arizona weather. I'll be back. I'm going to stop at the Sonoran Desert somewhere, stick my head in the sand. Give me a second. But even with the unusual climate, it has not dampened the fans and team's excitement for this Reds team. And I mentioned that last week, San Diego, that is a sleeping giant of a baseball town. Well, fucking ditto for the Cincinnati right here. I mean, Cincinnati is a baseball crazy town. It's the birthplace of the game. Red Stockings, uh, the Red Stockings, oldest, oldest team ever. And first year manager David Bell, he has, uh, well, look, he's made a concerted effort to change the mindset and the culture inside the clubhouse. And watching them a few games this spring, and you see a newfound swagger. I mean, you know, they look happy to play. You know, they're, they're ready to, 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 to play. I've been watching them on, you know, 30 for 30 on the MLB Network. And Votto Company, they're ready. And this team was, you know, had some really rough years the past couple years. They, they got a little swagger. And like my man Ric Flair, the greatest wrestler ever. It's like he always says. What's causing all this? Well, I'll tell you what's causing all this shit. Look, first and foremost, they got rid of Homer Bailey in that fucking atrocious contract. I mean, holy smokes. Look, I'm sure Mr. Bailey is a, a, a very nice gentleman. And we sometimes forget that the, uh, you know, that dude right there, that dude right there, he threw not one, but two no-hitters in his career for the Reds. I mean, I forget that sometimes. 
But here's the brass tax, uh, the brass tax in the professional sports world. And it comes down to sheer production. So last year, Homer, 1-7 with a 6.68 ERA. And let's not forget that that one win was on opening day. He made $21 million last year and was a minus .6 wins above replacement player. Honestly, I don't even know how the Reds have the initiative and the resources to pull that shit off, but it gives the lowly Oriole fans like myself hope that maybe one day we can shed this Chris Davis anchor that's, you know, around my neck. Hey, a brother can dream, right? So, first and foremost, shedding Bailey from the roster... And from that payroll, it's one of the biggest wins in the offseason by any team in baseball. And if that was all that the Reds would be able to accomplish in this offseason, you'd be like, damn, not bad for the Reds. But by trading Homer to the Dodgers, who, you know, they immediately, they released him. The Reds also gave up number nine prospect Jeter Downs. But by trading Homer to the Dodgers, they, they were they, the Reds were able to replenish their roster with uh, Southpaw Alex Wood, outfielders Matt Kemp, Yazel Puig. They also got utility men uh, Kyle Farmer. Uh, oh yeah, and don't forget seven million dollars in cash. Don't forget the cash. That's a no-brainer deal for Cincinnati right there. They get rid of Homer Bailey. Oh, and you get Alex Wood, Matt Kemp, Yazel Puig. And Kyle Farmer and seven million dollars. I mean, that really shows Homer Bailey what the Reds think about him. Alex Wood, Woody, he's an instant upgrade in the Reds rotation. Over the last two years, Woody has thrown three hundred four innings, three point two OERA, three point four three FIP, and a fifty one percent ground ball rate. 286 K, 78 walks. 11 of those were intentional. And according to Fangrass and their war system, he has been the 24th best starting pitcher over the last two years. And that's tied with righteous dudes like Dallas Keuchel and Jay Hat. That's at a 6.0 war. And not that I'm even suggesting that Woody was replacing Bailey this year in the rotation. I mean, my my intuition says Bailey wasn't even going to be on the fucking Reds roster this year, I would think. But from a uh, contextual view, the Reds starting pitching ERA of 5.02. That was 14th in the NL. And he's replacing someone, so Jesus, that's a fucking positive. And now while I'm still digging in at an ass like Peter North, let's take a look at the uh, Red Stockings offense. 
2018, it was below average. I mean, as far as across the board in the major league spectrum of things, it was. It was a below average uh, offense. But I also give them a benefit of the doubt that since they don't use a DH, I take that into a uh, you know I take that into account when I break these teams down. Now, from an NL perspective, they were close to league average. They had a 94. They had a team uh, OPS plus of 94, a little bit less than the league average. And you can certainly do worse than league average in the National League. But when you're trying to compete and you want to win, you got to be better than average. And again, I feel like there is a caveat to this. The league averages in that in those analytics, they show that losing Jesse Winkler for most of the second half, as well as Scott Shevler, it had an it had a, an impact on the Reds' offense. But even if you want to give those final stats a bump because of this fact, there is no denial that obtaining the services of Yaza Week and Matt Kemp. Well, I mean, it certainly moves the needle for them offensively, right? Bleak finished with an OBS plus of 120. Kemp finished at 121. Those two should certainly help that team create runs and bump that team OBS plus up, you know, a little bit. Now, another way this helps the team is it is two right-handed batters. And they were leaning to the left a little bit. You know, kind of like I am in the morning when I wake up. Now, David Bell, he he has a little lot of flexibility now with these two right-handers. Both Winkler and Scheller, they're left-handers. Bell can now play this, uh, you know, expanding outfield mix to their strengths. And while over, you know, overall playing time may decrease a little, the production on the field has a chance to go up. The Reds, they were eighth in the NL with 609 runs last year. Ninth in home runs with 172. Fourth in batting average and OP pick. 254 and 328 respectively. And it appears the plan is to play Puig in center until Senzel gets his uh, corrupt service time in and then he's going to go to center. And then, you know, there's going to be a long jam situation in the outfield. But, 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 I digress. Now, Quig, and no question, offensive upgrade over Billy Hamilton. I, I mean, we can all fucking agree on that. No one can disagree with that. Hammy, he moved on to Kansas City. But defensively, until uh, Senzel gets there, defensively, defensively, 
Look, the fans away. That ad feels a fucking mess. I mean, if Kevin Puig are out there day in, day out, that's a fucking mess. Both of those players, they they, they had awful defensive matchups last year. Fan McGrath, they, they got Puig worth uh, 8.5 runs, uh, minus 8.5 runs, and Kemp is at minus 9.5 runs. Shedler Winkler ain't much better. Shedler, 7.5 runs. Winkler, 11 runs. So all around, I mean, you know, I see a lot of skillet hands out here. Now, Hambone, he was a defensive stud. And he's not there anymore. So defensively, this outfield is not good. It could be, quite honestly, the worst defensive outfield in all of baseball. I just don't, folks, I just don't see it unless Senzel is like the second coming of, you know, Paul Blair out there at center, hiding everyone's defensive shortcomings. I I just don't see it. And I'm consistent and judicious when I break these teams down. I'm not Rumpelstiltskin spinning gold out of horse shit. I give you the truth. Defensively, it's going to be bad. And now that I broke that deal down, let's look again at the pitching where the Reds helped their cause even more by scooping up two more starters with uh, postseason experience. Sonny Gray, Tanner Roark. And they got a relief arm in uh, Zach Duke. Duke, 35 years old. He signed a one-year, $2 million deal. He rejoined a bully he was part of in the uh, second half of the 2013 season. Last year's splits, I mean, I'm looking at They would suggest Duke is, I don't know, eligible for the loogie role, situational left-hander. Last season, his 15th. He split time between the Twins and the Mariners. Saw his ERA rise to 4.15. But look, I also see a pitcher. I'm looking at this. He allowed only one home run in 52 innings. So that sounds like a loogie guy to me. The only question I have with Duke is his role in this Reds bullpen. Now, Sonny Gray who has spent the last two years under the world's largest microscope in the Boogie Down Bronx. He has appeared to find new life. And upon his arrival to the Reds, Grant was reunited with his pitching coach from Vanderbilt, Derek Johnson. And he is now the pitching coach in the Queen City. DJ has uh, seemingly reinvigorated Gray, and even Sonny admits baseball feels fun again. And to Derek Johnson's credit, that was his number one goal. 
Johnson wanted to see the guy at Vandy who played with a fire in his belly and he wanted to bring back the swagger. Now, mechanically, Johnson has focused on uh, Gray keeping his right ass cheek over the rubber as long as possible. And that's to compensate for Gray's long stride. He has stressed fastball command, athleticism, bringing depth to his curve, and he's scrapping the slider. I don't know if he's scrapping it, but he's not going to be as reliant on it. And uh, DJ has no doubt that Sonny is closer to the pitcher from Oakland. 44 36, 3.66 ERA than the ones we've seen in the past two years in the Boogie Down Bronx. That guy went 15 and 16 with a 4.51 ERA. Now, Gray did experience a little stiffness in his right elbow last week, but he didn't seem concerned. He first experienced the discomfort on uh, February 18th. And the concessions was that it wasn't serious enough for an MRI. So he participated in a long toss on Monday. Throughout the mound on Thursday and Saturday. And to his credit, his arm, it's been fairly durable. By pitcher standards in today's game, mind you. Hey, yeah. I see here he was on the DL twice in 2016. He had a right forearm strain. And that's pretty much it as far as long-term injury. Now, right now, Gray seems to be loving baseball. And he has openly declared he is competing for that opening day start. (laughs) And I can hear the Yankee cat calls and laughter. Right now, when I just said that he was competing for the opening day start. But don't forget, you're the same guys that told me he was better than Garrett Cole. But I digress. Gray has made two opening day starts in his career, both with the Athletics. He started for Oakland against the Tribe in 14. Allowing no runs and a no decision. He also went uh, 15. He led the Oakland to an 8 nothing shutout of the Rangers. So Gray has looked motivated, ready to go. And I feel like the NL, I mean, the NL might be just what he needs at this point. New league, new start. Uh, no DH in the lineup. You get to face the pitcher. This might be just what Sonny Gray needs. Now, the third arm with postseason experience. The Reds, they went out and got Tanner Roark. And while his arrival has been overshadowed by the influx of former Dodger stars, he is no less important than any other move made by the club in the offseason. And I say that because Roark, boy, he's an innings eater. And one of the biggest problems the Reds had last year was picking up quality starts. 
which, you know, look, that really ain't a quality start in my eye. Three rounds, six innings. But look, they couldn't even get that. The Reds starting pitchers, they averaged a smidge over five innings a start last year. And that's just way too much weight to put on a young and at times overmatched bully last year. Now, six-year veteran, 31-year-old Broark, he has put in no less than 180 innings pitched in a season, and that was the ex- the exception was his rookie season in 2015. He has played 571 two-third innings the past three years in the district. So that's like 190 innings pitched a year average. That dude is a fucking horse. Now, Roark, he's not, nor should he be expected to be the ace. He is a clever uh, middle-of-the-rotation arm who goes to work, and that is something that this Reds rotation has been missing for some time. A dude that just puts on the hard hat, fills up the the lunch pail and goes to work. He's a worker. So now you're looking at what was the bottom of the NL in pitching and it got a complete overhaul. Sonny Gray, Alex Wood, you take the ace, uh, pressure off of the uh, young and talented Louis Castillo, you drop him to three, follow those three with Tanner Roark, Anthony DiScofani, And it's funny, I hate saying that name last year. Discofani. Your attention, please. Now pitching for the Reds, Anthony Discofani. I don't know, my Baltimore accent, it's almost impossible to make my lips work that way. And I had to sit down with my boy, Justin Navarute, out there in Anaheim, California. And he's a huge Reds fan. I had to sit him down and I had to have him teach me how to say it with confidence. It was literally like teaching me Arabic. So fucking hard. Anthony Discofani. Why do they call him Disco? And I expect to see him in the starting rotation. And... Look, <laughs> Anthony Discofani. I actually can say it now. It took him a while to be able to do it, though, but we got through it. I expect to see him in a starting rotation. I do believe Tyler Molly, he's going to be dip, uh, nipping at those heels. And should any of these starters miss time, I expect Molly to be the guy that jumps in. Now, as Justin and I were talking, he's not as high on Molly as I am. And his argument is valid. He's got a high strikeout rate, but he challenges the strike zone too much because of that confidence he has in his heater. And I don't necessarily disagree. You, you got to crawl before you become Max Scherzer. You feel me? A little more savvy. 
and expansion of the zone. That would certainly be more beneficial to his career, I would think. And one thing I both think that we agree on is that Molly has talent. But he averages almost two dongs a game. I mean, he's got to get a little wild outside of the zone a little bit. And another thing we probably agree on, the additions of these starters, it has lengthened the bullpen for the better. Especially if these vets can eat some innings. And I'm actually interested how this rotation, how this bullpen, how it's going to be configured. The one certainty is that 20-year-old Rizzo Iglesias has come into his own. And he was a highly desired commodity at the trade deadline. And he's the closer. Last year he had 30 saves, 2.38 ERA. 80 Ks and 72 innings pitch, 66 games and a 1.07 whip. And Jared Hughes, he proves uh, to be the more than capable setup guy. He went 4 3 with a 1.94 ERA, 216 ERA plus. And I spoke to you how I like that big three in my bullpen. And maybe Amir Garrett can grow into that role now. I mean, if not, you have a choice between unsung David Hernandez, Michael Lorenzen, Matt Whistler, Bondi Peralta. And what a year a difference makes. A year ago, I'm like discussing... The mess that was in that Reds bullpen. And quite honestly, we were hoping that, you know, Oliver, Oliver Perez committed some, some damage there and, and, you know, saved that club somehow. And it just looks like just adding these players, it lengthens that rotation and it puts a guy like, you know, Lorenzen and uh, Amir Garrett and, and Tyler Molly. It gives them specific roles. They are not in the rotation now. And I think it does help that rotation lengthen out. And I haven't discussed the, uh, well, I haven't discussed the infield much because honestly to me, it's near elite. If not already there, Eugenio Suarez, he's put himself into the conversation and debate over who was the best third baseman in the state of Ohio. And last year, Suarez led the team with a 3.4 war, 34 dongs, 104 ribs. He had a 288, 366, 
526 slash 135 OPS plus I'm a total stud And what I would consider A breakout year for him Now Jose Peraza The shortstop to the left of him He shot like a diamond last year Both offensively and defensively I mean I was really down On Jose Peraza at the beginning of the year Last year No player surprised me more than the emergence Of Peraza last year well, maybe what Yelich did, but he was always good. And Peraza's games and at-bats, they're almost identical to what he was doing at 17 and 18, but his production was off the charts. He nearly quadrupled his high in doubles, going from 9 to 31. He nearly tripled his highs in... Uh, Home runs going from a high of 5 to 14. He set career highs across the board in everything except triples. And I mean, that infield is just sad. You got Scooter Jeanette, Jelly Votto, Jose Peraza, Eugenio Suarez. They got a gold glove catcher in Tucker Barnhart. And this team has a solid infield. And as bad as that offense is, the infield is nice. So solid, in fact, it's created a dilemma. Now, all the JRSC OGs, you know, I've been riding the Padres farm system for about two years now. And if you were to put a gun to my head, and as for me to tell you the second best farm, I would probably take the Reds just slightly over the White Sox. And the reason I say that is because the trio of pitching prospect Hunter Green, outfielders Nick Senzel, Tyler Trammell. Well, in my opinion, it's the second most fierce threesome after Tatis Jr., Urias, and Mackenzie Gore. In my opinion, it is. The number 131 overall prospect in baseball, Hunter Green. And the last time most of us saw him, he was hitting triple, triple digits on the jugs. He was mowing down hitters in the Futures game. They capped the 18-year-old's innings. And they've been, you know, they've been really careful with him. But I think this year he's coming with a new and improved changeup, a new slider. So they might actually stretch his innings out. They're talking about giving him about 120 innings this year. And the MVP of that Futures game was another Reds prospect, Taylor Trammell. He's the 18th ranked prospect in all of baseball. 20-year-old last year. He played for high A Daytona. 110 games. He had 110 hits. He scored 71 times, 19 doubles, 8 home runs, 41 ribs, 25 stolen bases. 105 strikeouts and 461 plate appearances. And he projects to be a center fielder. 
which therein lies the problem. And as most of you know, the Reds have this kid, Nick Senzel. He is the eighth-ranked prospect in all of baseball. And now when he started, he was projected to be the third baseman of the future. In fact, the few times that I saw him play third base, I was able to watch him, and I felt like he was a young Cal Ripken Jr. at third to me. Nice size, good athleticism, hell of an arm. And almost the same kind of right-handed stroke. And as you can see, the Reds infield its beast. Peraza, Suarez, Jeanette, Votto. It would be nearly impossible for that kid to break in there. At almost every one of those infield positions. So, first-year manager, he's told Senzel he wants him to focus on learning Center field. And as I read the scouting reports, many of the scouts believe that he can do it no problem. He keeps himself in great shape. He's fast, athletic, and he's got a strong arm. Now, he's not going to be Billy Hamilton out there. But he's not expected to be as long as he can do better than Hammy's 299 OBP. I think he can do better than that. I think he can do better than that with one arm. And he literally has nothing to prove on the minor league level. He has a career slash of 310, 378, 509 while on the farm. I mean, he's just murdering that pitching. And like I said, it's 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 almost going to create this log jam effect. If you bring Santella, Tramel's not quite there. Now Tramel is supposed to be the center fielder of the future. And I even think that having uh, uh, Senzel up there is going to create a little bit of a log jam. You got Puig, Winkler, Shabler, Kemp. I don't know. Somebody's going to get doubt. Possible trade champs. I mean, you know, what do you, what do you think? I mean, three of the four players acquired in that Dodgers trade. They're free agents after the 19th season. That's going to free up about 45 to $60 million to spend in the offseason. And that's going to be backed by their strong-ass farm. And look, I'm hoping that team plays well. That starving base, they need to come back and join the family. That can boost the payroll. And if we and Wood play well and they decide not to trade these guys, that would take away the Reds' ability to cash in on more prospects initially. But the team could make them qualifying offers. And if they turn those downs, then the Reds will receive draft picks in 2020. And I guess, you know, theoretically, this could help replenish the losses of Jeter Downs, Shedlong. Shedlong is the guy they traded to the Yankees for Sonny Gray. So there you have it. I mean, you know, I think the Reds are on to something here. 
I mean, it must be exciting. As I break into this NL Central, I've said it the last couple weeks, I believe that every single team in the NL Central has the roster that should play 500 ball. And I, the Cincinnati Reds, to me, are a 500 baseball team this year. They won 67 games last year. I expect that dramatic of an increase. That being said, some of these pieces are trade pieces. I'm not saying that they're going to battle, you know, the, the Milwaukee's, the Cubs, the Cardinals, but I think they're going to be respectable. I do. In fact, I think that whole division is very respectable. People are sleeping on the Pirates. Well, look, the Pirates got some pretty good pitchers. I think the NL Central, while I think the NL East 1 through 4 is beast, I think the NL Central is the best overall division in baseball from top to bottom. They are five strong. And I'm really excited to get a chance to watch that division go at it. Now, I do think there'll be some uh, cannibalizing going on there. I think some teams, you know, like a team like the Pirates may play the Cardinals really well, but not play the Brewers well. I can see a situation like that. But I truly believe that all of these teams in the American League Central are good enough to play 500 baseball. The Cardinals, they added Paul Goldschmidt. You know, the Brewers are taking a team that was pretty fucking good last year. They're fucking bring back Mustakis, Yasmani Grandal. So all in all, I think the NL Central is going to be exciting. I want to see Alex Wood pitching the red uniform. I can't wait to see Tanner Roark do his thing. Yazel Puig in Cincinnati. Are you kidding me? Let's get that ballpark rocking. Let's get them back. Let's get all those Reds fans, all that beautiful red. Let's fill up those stands this year. And be proud of your team. You'll listen to the Jake Robinson Sports Experience on the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. I'm coming out of Pauline's Island, South Kakalaki. Half man, half podcast machine. Spreading the gospel of baseball to the four corners of the earth. The way it was supposed to be done. And I'm living the dream, folks. I love talking baseball to you, the greatest fans in the world. And speaking of shed long, let's take a look at the New York Yankees. The last time we saw the Yankees in a competitive game, they were being eliminated by their rivals and eventual world champion Boston Red Sox. As Boston left them brooding. Wow, they sang New York, New York, all the way through the victory parade. So while the Yankee fans felt great about what they accomplished during the season, they were unsatisfied. Like three hours after eating Chinese food, unsatisfied. 
Like sex with whiskey dick unsatisfied. And they were angry. The Gothamites were pissed. They, you know, they're already pissed. They had to watch Tom Brady win another fucking Super Bowl again. Nah, what, 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 what? So the fans are chomping at the bit, and Cashman's resolve is as strong as ever. Now, last year, the Bombers, they went 162. Eight games back of the champs. The Yankees were 10 and 28 in games without a home run. And they were 90 and 34 when hitting at least one. And I would maintain that with a little better situational hitting, they may be able to catch the enemy this year. And look, honestly, for the second year in a row, I am impressed with the off-season hustle of Brian Cashman. Whether you like the Yankees or hate them, one thing is for sure, Brian Cashman is a motherfucking pimp. He's more than just a suit with a checkbook. In fact, for a team that has just come off their first season ever under the luxury tax threshold, I mean, I'm a little surprised that they've been a little conservative. They've been a little more conservative than I thought they would be. I mean, if you can consider a off-season where you spend $150 million on payroll as conservative. But by Yankee standards, yes, it is a conservative off-season. And it's funny because uh, <laughs> me and my boy Richard DeSalvio, he was trumpeting to me like how proud he was that the Yankees were, you know, showing some respect, some restraint, and being like this uh, this team that you could look up to because they're not, you know, cornering the market. And I'm just like, whoa. It's to slow your ponies there, brother. I mean, what, what, you're, you're bragging because, you, you know, you're winning by staying $2 under the, the luxury tax? I mean, what are we talking about? But, yes, the Yankees have been conservative. You know, but don't give me no bullshit. You're learning how to compete by staying $2 under the LTT. Congratulations. And I give you credit, instead of banking, uh, you know, breaking the bank on Machado or Harper, the Yankees filled needs with such play- players like uh, James Paxson, Adam Adovino, Troy Tolowinski, DJ LeMayhew, Jay Hat. Hell, even Zach Britton, he used to be good, so that looks like, you know, not too bad of a deal. You know, Zach Breton, I, I call him the shadow, you know. Not to mention, they went in-house. They took care of Louis Severino and outfielder Aaron Hicks. And all of you old fuck seam heads out there, 
And naturally, when I say old, I mean at least my age. Although, if you're older than me, you probably have no idea what a fucking podcast is in the first place. So yeah, all you fucks like me. If you think back to the 90s, Dynastic Yankees, you remember, it all started with the core four. Posada, Jeter, Pettit, Mariano. And it almost feels like the Yankees are heading in that direction once again. I can see them making inroads to lock up Aaron Judge, maybe even a Didi Gregorius. I can see them doing this sometime in the near future. And the Yankees brain trust, it's making calculated projections on forming that core without being financially crushed by it. And that's because Brian Cashman, well that dude lives and dies by the creed of every dollar affects another dollar. And that is why Cashman and the smart Yankees fans in the know they're not losing any sleep over missing out on Harper or Machado. Two players that were never going to meet their financial demands in the first place. Because every dollar affects the other fucking dollar. Brian Cashman, you're a fucking pimp, dude. Fucking spitfire. Now, I expect Aaron Judge to further highlight the grow and groom Yonkers philosophy. Albeit with a far larger number at stake than that four-year, $40 million extension that was just signed by uh, Ace Severino or that seven-year, $70 million Hicks. I mean, after all, Judge isn't simply another star player on the roster. That dude's a two-time All-Star Rookie of the Year pimp. And he's the face of the franchise, as well as the prominent faces of the entire fucking sport. So he's going to cost you some coin, baby. Now, to the Yankees' credit, they have expertly walked that line of present and future as of now. Severino, he was still four years away from free agency, so in essence, that contract was about cost, certainty, over his four arbitration years as a Super 2. And spring training is usually extension season anyway. Aaron Nola, Max Kepler, Jorge Polanco, they've all ate no extensions in recent weeks, and the Yanks seem willing to accept that philosophy as well. Hicks, on the other hand, he's entering his 29th year. And he was set to become a free agent at the end of the year. Now, for me, the Severino deal, it makes plenty of sense from various different angles. But the Hicks deal, it's got me scratching my head a little. I'm not going to lie, Yankees fan. I'm not hating. Now, the switch hitter, he's a defensive stud for sure. He's not Jackie Bradley in center, but he's pretty fucking good. And he has struggled to get on the field and play a full season throughout his career. 
There's 137 games played last year. That was the career high. In his six years, Hicks has a slash of 236, 328, 396, 283 runs in 595 games. 19, or, uh, 79 doubles, 70 dogs, 240 ribs. He's got a career OPS of 96. I'm sorry, that's career OBS plus. And he's got a 10.6 more. And I'm sorry, again, I'm not Rumble Stiltskin. I, I can't spin gold from horseshit. I'm the fucking Spitfire. I tell the truth. I mean, honestly, on many levels, I don't get this deal. I don't believe Hicks to be a $70 million player for seven years. And if he is, holy shit, Aaron Judge, call me, dude. I need friends like you. But I get it. Look, the Yankees believe in their guy. God bless them. It's also, you know, slam the door on any rumor or a hypothetical innuendo about Harper making his way to the boogie down. Which, that was fine to me. I, I don't believe in rumors and hypotheticals. I mean, hypotheticals are like lying to your brain. That's right. Now, Severino, Louie, on the other hand, that makes total fucking sense to me. 24-year-old, he went 19-8 and with a 3.39 ERA, 4.7 war. And for the second year in a row, he pitched over 190 innings. 220 strikeouts and 191 in the third innings pitched. ERA plus of 129, 1.16 whip. He also made a second consecutive All-Star appearance. So, the Yankees pitching, it looks stout. Especially in the bullet. Where studs like Arnoldus Chapman, Della Batances, Chad Green, Tommy Canley. They already hold court. But the Bombers added two more pieces. And former Rocky shooter Adam Adovino. And he also resigned, uh, resigned Zach Britton. And Adovino. He'll become the first player on the story team to wear the number zero. And I, that's funny. I, I never knew that. Thirty-three-year-old native of Park Slope, Brooklyn, he signed a three-year, twenty-seven million dollar pack with the Yankees in July, and it was just two years ago that Otto, in his career, it was at a crossroads. Two thousand seventeen, he's coming off disastrous season and saw his ERA climb to five point zero six. So Adam spent last season refining his mechanics. Utilizing high-tech equipment using newfound analytics. He became aware of knowledge of terms like spin efficiency, laminar flow, gyroscopic spin. 
and you can laugh all you want about analytics or whatever, but he slices ERA in half down to 2.43, and he's a believer. And with his newfound mechanics and knowledge, he was able to trim his walks and home run rate, which is crucial in pitching courts. His whip sank to .99. Six saves, 112 strikeouts. That was second in the NL behind only uh, Josh Hader of the Brewers. And it was the fourth best in all of baseball. His 158 batting average against. It was fifth among NL relievers. And you were also going to take into account that he's pitching out of uh, Coors Field in Colorado. He struck out 112 of 309 batters. That's a 36.2% rate. And that's good enough for fifth best among NL relievers. Now, Adovino, he projects to fill that vacancy left by the departure of David Robertson. I would suspect that he is a prime late-inning uh, candidate to face tough right hitters in, a, in key spots. Last year, he held righties to a minuscule 142 average against at a 467 OPS. Now, the Yankees also agreed to a three-year deal with uh, Zach. Or should I say Zach? I don't know. This son bitch, he becomes a Yankee, and now there's no CH on his fucking name. Now there's a K there. So instead of Zach Britton, well, he, he's now Zach Britton. Cool story, bro. Yeah, pull that fucking pretentious train to the fucking track. On the other side of the track. Try to get over yourself, Zach. Or, or Zach, or whatever the fuck your name is. Get over yourself. My God. Anyway, new three. Yeah, I'm not salty. I'm an Orioles fan. I'm not salty. Anyway, Zach, or Zach, whatever your name is. Three-year deal, $13 million per. Opt-out clause after 20 and 21. So if Zach, or, well, Zach, and he leaves after two years, he will have made uh, $26 million. And if he stays for four years, he's going to make $53 million. He's not staying for four years. Good luck, Zach. Or as I like to call you, Zach. Now, by retaining retaining the 31-year-old Southpaw, the Yankees maintained their grip on one of the most dominant bullies in baseball. Last year, the Yankees, 338 bully ERA, was fourth best in baseball, behind only the Astros, the Cubs, and the Yanks. And since the beginning of the 2014 season, Britain leads all MLB pitchers with at least a uh, 200 innings pitched to their credit with a 1.82 ERA. So the bully looks set, except maybe one spot. And I would assume that, I don't know, Luis Sessa, Jonathan uh, Loisaga, maybe Domingo Herman, maybe those guys have an inside track there. I don't know. We'll have to see how that shakes out. Let's give it back. The rotation looks pretty much set. 
Jordan Montgomery, he's still in the shelf after getting his UCL uh, repaired back in June. And he has no less than four months of rehab ahead of him. Now, the big addition to the Yankees rotation, it was, of course, Big Maple, James Paxton. He went to the Bombers from the Mariners for a package that included top Yankees prospect Justice Sheffield, along with two other prospects. And though injuries have been a concern for Big Maple, the Yankees took note of the uh, champs rotation and they decided best to uh, upgrade theirs. Paxton has been on the DL five times in the past three years, but he did set career highs of 160 and a third innings pitched, and it was also his first 200 strikeout campaign. Yankees uh, GM Cashman, he confirmed that he had uh, been in talks for a month about Paxton before finally getting his guy. Now, the Astros were also in talks about uh, getting Paxton, but they refused to part with uh, Forrest Whitley. And, you know, that was a deal breaker for Houston. So, Topoto informed Cast that the Astros, they're out. And if the Yankees don't include Sheffield, you're going to be fucking out soon. So after posting 12 wins and a 2.98 ERA in 2017, Big Maple, he remained a standing force atop a crumbling Mariners rotation. And when he's healthy... He trends as one of the better quality Southpaw starters in the game. And Cashman also concerned, uh, confirmed that it was tough to give up Sheffield. But he felt like Paxton can help immediately. And for a team that is this close to World Series aspirations, you got to go for it. I'm looking at the Yankees rotation. Three southpaws in it. Passing in the two-hole. That's what she said. Yankees uh, veterans, uh, CeCe Sabathia. He'll turn 84 this year. Jay Hat, he's going to be somewhere above him. Hat re-signed the Yankees for two years. $34 million on the base. And the Yankees, if you remember, they traded for the lefty last in line. They sent Brandon Jewelry. And Billy McKinley packing for Toronto. And when he first got to the Bronx, he could do no wrong. He did nothing but compete his ass off. He went 7-0 with a 2.69 ERA. And even though he took the L in Game 1 of the LDS versus the Sox, he owns a 2.98 lifetime ERA versus Boston and 21 big league starts. And the Yankees love that stat right there. So it was a better fucking year and a half hassle last year. The 35-year-old, uh, he set career best totals in strikeouts with 193. Whips, uh, whip, 1.13. And 
the year of the save in his first ever all-star appearance. So like I said, a better fucking year in the J-Hap household. His 17 victories were fourth most in the American League. And other than Tanaka, who came via the uh, 2014 posting process, well, J-Hap is actually, and I did not know this, J-Hap is the first starting pitcher to sign a multi-year deal with the Yankees since 2008. Now think about that, folks. The last time they gave multi-year deals to a pitcher, it was on the same day, it was A.J. Burnett and C.C. Sabathia. So, the bully looks beast, upper echelon elite, the starters look set, and let's take a look at that offense. Now, that Yankees lineup last year impacted a lot of punch as they based all of baseball with 267 dogs. And I told you at the beginning of this Yankees circumcision that they were 90 and 34 in games they homered in, but only 10 and 28 in games they did not drop dong. Now, one of those really great situational hitters in that lineup that went down was shortstop Dieter Gregoris. He was shut down, underwent TGS on his right elbow back in October. The Yankees have high hopes on his return, but Cash appears to be hedging his bets a little. He's saying the 29-year-old may return as late as August. And Didi is one of my favorite players in baseball to watch. Absolutely. And his career, it's been like a slow-building avalanche the past three years. And last year, Jeter's replacement, he shined. Offensively, defensively, Didi was there. And though he was shut down early, Gregorius had either surpassed or was headed towards surpassing almost all of his career highs. Last year, Didi had a 268, 335, 494 slash, 134 games, 89 runs, 23 doubles, 27 dogs, 87 ribs, and 120 OPS plus. So the loss of Didi had hurt the Yankees both in the short term and into this season. And even with, you know, rookie phenom Miguel Andujar. Some of the fans in New York, they wanted a full-out aggression on securing Manny Machado. And it was funny, I was listening to a couple old shows from last year, spring training shows, and in the show, I'm saying, this kid, Andujar, is killing it in spring training. And the Yankees might not even need a Manny Machado. And I'm going to tell you, I love me some men. Some baseball words on projection have never been more accurate. Because Miguel Andujar is the fucking truth. And anyone who's doubting his rookie glove, I would not worry about that too much. I think that kid 
is a gym rat, and I think he's going to get better and better defensively. I do. And I knew, watching that kid hit the ball last year in spring training, I knew that kid had skills. And I've said it. I said the Yankees probably don't even need Manny Machado after watching this kid play. And they didn't. And I'm glad that he's going to get a chance to, you know, build on last year's momentum. So again, instead of bringing the bank, Cashman, he made a savvy move by signing Troy Tulowitzki to a league minimum two-year deal as the Blue Jays are still on the hook for the remaining two years on his contract. 34-year-old shortstop. He's going to hold it down until Didi comes back. And then I would assume that Tulo would become, you know, this hard-hitting utility slash bench slash DH type guy. Tulo was among baseball's royalty while playing for Colorado from 2009 to 14. And he is now coming off uh, two veritable lost seasons. He batted a career worst 249, 300, 378, and 260, 260 plate appearances in 66 games in 2017. And he struggled through injuries to both his hamstrings and his ankles. Now, he sat out last year with authentic presidential bone spurs and both heels, and he didn't play it up. Gregorius coming off two straight seasons of at least four wins above replacement, and Tulo hasn't reached that mark since 14. And realistically, one cannot expect Troy to replicate Didi's production. But for such a low cost for a player with a history, it would be beneficial if they could keep him upright and healthy. And quite honestly, after Machado, who wanted up signing with the Fathers as a third baseman, the shortstop market was soft. I mean, it was softer than Alizé and, and, and Water, quite honestly. Now, you can probably absorb... Uh, a little bad news there with the fact that you have Glaber Torres who can looks like he can play shortstop or second. So it's look like it looks like you have options there. You got Luke Voigt and Greg, uh, Greg Bird, and I I guess this is you know supposed to be a platoon situation, but I don't know, man. Luke Voigt looks really good, and I've had Cardinal fans tell me like. Yeah, I'm not that crazy about us getting rid of Luke Voigt. And I kind of see why. He, he just fits in Yankee Stadium, too. So Greg Bird does his usual, you know, he's another one with the fucking, you know, presidential bone spares over here. If he can't go, Luke Voigt, Luke Voigt he, well, he looks like he can not only go, but he looks like he wants to go. Last year, 39 games, 148 at-bats. He had 14 dogs, 33 ribs, 333, 405, 689 slash, an OBS plus of 188, 
at a 1.095 OPS. Bird, 25 years old, another disappointing season. 199, 286, 386 slash. OPS plus of 79. 82 games, 272 at bats. That's almost double what Voight had. He came away with 11 home runs, 38 RBI. I think the Yankees are going to have some tough choices about Bird in the next coming years. I told you about Glaber. I, I, man, I think Glaber is a hell of a ball player, man. Last year, 484 plate appearances, 24 dogs, 77 ribs, 271, 33, 40, 480, uh, slash, 118 OBS+. And I think that, you know, the emergence of Soto and Acuna and even Andujar, his teammate Andujar and Otani... I think it took away a little luster from what Glaber Torres did over there. But I'm going to tell you, that kid is for real. He is for real. He's a threat. He's a weapon. That outfield, it looks sad. They got Guardian left, Hicks in center. All rise. Aaron Judge presiding in right. And the Yankees, they, they got to seriously consider extending Judge before the market gets too out of control here. You got Lindor, Trout, possibly Mookie Betts looking towards free agency or extension. Maybe even a Jose Ramirez. So I really think they, got, they need to think about that. Now, a point of contention between me and my good friend, Classy Todd Lassie. Is John Carlos Stanton? I mean, this motherfucker is such a fucking hater. You know, he hates Derek Jeter for getting rid of Stanton, but you know, but then in the other, out of the other side of his fucking mouth, let's tell you, Stanton sucks. He had a shitty year. So, which is it? Did the, did the Marlins make the good move getting away, getting rid of Stanton because he sucked, or did? You know, was Stan good? I mean, it doesn't make sense. You can't have one without the other, dude. I hear a lot of hoping in his trembling feminine voice. That dude lives to bash Stan and judge. It does make for, you know, good baseball banner when him and I talked to him. I thought all things considered, Stan had a great first year in the AL. And now a year's experience in the new league, I expect his lofty numbers to expand. Last year, Stan had a 266, 343, 509 slash, 38 dogs, 100 ribs, 102 runs scored, 126 OPS plus. And I guess we can look at him as a DH and sometimes Sanchez, Bird. I mean, they got a little versatility there. I 
I like the Yankees. I, I think they're put together very, very well. And we're going to continue to break down the American League East in the next couple weeks. I think next week I'm going to do the Tampa Rays. And then I'm going to break it down two teams in the Central next week. And I think, NL Central. And I think it's going to probably be like Cubs and Brewers maybe. And that is the plan as of right now. But, you know, as I break down this American League East, much like I think the uh, NL East is going to be a tall fight, I think the AL East is going to be a tall fight between these two teams right here. They are very, very close. You're listening to the Jake Robinson Sports Experience on the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. I'm coming out of Paulie's Island, South Carolina. And there you have it, folks. The most fierce baseball podcast show on the planet. Another one in the books. And I gave it to you all, right? We talked to little Bryce Harper. We talked about the world champion Red Sox. The Reds. The Yankees. I do what I do when I do it. I do it better than anybody else. Next week, we're looking ahead to the Rays. Oh, actually, next week, we're going to do the Kangaroo Court. Kangaroo Court, part two in this motherfucker. I'm already getting charges on that. We've got some really good charges coming up. Me and the bailiff, Sam Mason, we're going to listen to charges in the room. And... Again, look, let's plug it right now while we're talking about it. Good segue. I'm talking about the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network fan page on Facebook. And if you're not in there, I would highly suggest that you get in there. It is the most comprehensive and progressive baseball page on the book. Bar none. I've been in them. I've been in all of them. I've seen them. What we do on our page is totally fucking different. And the fact that we're doing a kangaroo court, that is just one of the very things that set us apart from any other Facebook page. Another thing that sets us apart is we do two drafts. We do a throwback draft that we're getting ready to do live on Facebook. And seriously, it takes us nearly a month to do these drafts. In fact, the last draft, 30 teams, it took us three months. But look, let me just bring it down to you. At the beginning of the year, we do a throwback draft. We draft any and all players from the last 30 years in Major League Baseball. And we talk shit. We banter. And it's just a good way to go into opening day ready to, ready to enjoy the greatest game that's ever been created. And then at the end of the year, after the very last out of the World Series, we do a draft of every player in the game. We take those rosters, we put them in uh, the, the, the shell, PlayStation the shell, we simulate the whole season, and the winner comes away with bragging rights. Well, look, my boy Mikey Franks had a central pencil tucking. I mean, he, he went in as the Tampa Rays. He did some awesome trades, awesome drafts, and he kicked all of our asses, quite honestly. 
And that was the uh, 2018 end of the year draft. And that was won by Mikey Frank. So congratulations, Mikey. I told you we're going to do the kangaroo court. I'm already getting charges. If you want to get into this room, it's the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network Facebook page. Answer the three questions. Come on in. Welcome to the family. I want to give a plug out to my boy Leo Jane out of Melbourne, Australia. He is coming out with a movie review blog. It's called And I Might Be Wrong. Blogspot.com. I love Leo. He's, he's a, a native of Venezuela. He. Well, he was forced out of that country because the crazy socialist took over. And he moved to Australia and he lives there today. And he is a super fan of this show. And he's very knowledgeable in movies. So check him out. And I might be wrong.blogspot.com. And of course, I got my boy Mikey Ford, sports editor for the Fresno Bay. I love this dude right here. Wherever I go, he goes, and vice versa. We say it to each other all the time. You can find him at M Ford Collegian on Twitter. You can find him in the Facebook room, or you can find him at thefresnob.com. I'm Jake Robinson from the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network and the most fierce baseball show on the planet, Jake Robinson Sports Experience. I want to say thank you all for coming out. God bless. And if you see your kid there and he looks bored, take him or her outside. And play a game of catch. Win the day. Peace.